Hello and welcome to another edition of the Business Masterclass podcast from Love Wimbledon Business Improvement District and Merton Chamber of Commerce. I'm Craig Hurring, Chief Executive of Love Wimbledon. This is the fourth episode in this series of exclusive masterclasses we have developed for businesses to discover tangible solutions to some of their most pressing current business challenges. As technology continues to evolve at a rapid pace, understanding and navigating the digital landscape becomes essential for business. Our fourth masterclass centered around exploring new technology, how to align this with your business goals and enhance your customer experience. Taking place at Flight Centre's stunning new location in Wimbledon, we heard from three keynote speakers with unique perspectives on how technology is shaping their industry and what lies ahead. A topic that is relevant to all businesses, not just businesses working exclusively in tech. Our guest speakers were David Owen, CTO, Global Corporate Support Leader, Flight Centre Travel Group, Claire Jeffries, Managing Director, Home Instead, Wimbledon and Kingston, and Marcus Murray, Managing Director, Moray Consulting. As always, the event concluded with a valuable Q&A session, which we have included at the end. I do hope you enjoy this episode of the Business Masterclass podcast. And this brings me to introduce our first speaker. Gives me great pleasure to welcome Mr. David Owen. David is Chief Technical Officer and Global Corporate Support Leader for Flight Center Travel Group. He joined Flight Center in 2005 as a travel consultant, and you've held various senior posts across this growing company, all the time evolving and transforming the way that you use digital tech and the channels to engage with and enhance your customer experience. Welcome, David. Thank you very much. Um, that sounds, God, I didn't realize I'd done all that. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll stand up for a second. Um, look, firstly, it's fantastic to be in Wimbledon in our brand new offices. We, Darren, how long is it? Seven, eight months now? Yeah, yeah. So uh, as you can see, really, really nice offices and that we put together here. We were in New Morden for 20 years, potentially, on a few of the floors in two big towers. And we've just moved here um, very recently. We've got office in Chancery Lane as well. But as you can see, it's a fantastic location and a really really great office and we're really kind of happy to be here um so yeah look i'm going to talk about a few different things um as uh, charlotte mentioned I'm, I'm chief technology officer now i in a global role looking after our support businesses um but yeah look i really want to go through a bit of a flight center story because i think hopefully it's quite apt for what um what we want to talk about today and digital transformation and the challenges you know companies face when they've got a kind of a to look to what the digital future is. Um, also talk a little bit off the back of that about what we've learned around how to roll out technology and how to kind of really guard against some of the challenges in rolling out technology, because we've definitely had a lot as hopefully the story will kind of indicate as I go through it. Um, so yeah, look, I've, I've been in Flight Center 20 years, um, nearly, next, well no, 2005. That's My maths isn't very good there, is it? 19 years next year. Um, yeah, two kids and long time in one company gets you gets you thinking like that. Um, but yeah, I want to give a quick story first. Um, I've as I said I've done lots of different roles and I'll, I'll touch on that. But I want to give a quick story kind of to, to frame a little bit of this around where Flight Center started as a company um, and where we are today and some of the transformations we've had to go through to get to this point. So uh, Flight Center has um, been around now for well. I'll start with what flights and start as. Start as Top Deck Travel. So I don't know if anyone's heard of Top Deck Travel. Um, 
it's this year it's 50 years old so we're very proud to get to this point and our founder and still ceo at 75 years old he ran the london marathon i think last year so he's still going strong um he started up top debt travel he was a vet based in um based in london he's australian as most of you might know we're a brisbane-based company um and we started up the company he started up the company top debt travel he bought a bus went around europe got basically got all his mates onto the bus did a tour around europe and that that's where the company started at he decided to buy another bus and then another bus and it slowly developed into a into a business um, that that yeah to, to tour around Europe it's still there today. Top Deck Travel. We actually sold. He actually sold it, and then we bought it back about five years ago. So it's still going strong around Europe, and we're still doing lots and lots of tours. A um, few years later, back back in Brisbane, um, we started Flight Centre, and again, Screw started Flight Centre. Very much a, it was very much a shop, um, high street based business. So the really the ethos was around it, which is still one of our key ethos as a company was around entrepreneurship, business ownership, and these kind of things. So really, the business was based on, um, as a travel consultant, you worked in a shop, um, and people came in to buy travel, very different back then, obviously, pre-internet, pre-anything like that, very much just a, a phone, buying tickets, and then, and then selling them on to customers. So very much based on, I suppose, in an analog world. It was very much based on the consultant, you owned your business, customers came in, bought flights off you, and then you sold them on. So we started our first shop in Brisbane in 1982. Um, that then grew into, actually first shop was in Sydney actually, but that then grew into Brisbane, other places in Australia. We came over to London in 1992, I believe, and then we had to close London and come back again in 1995. But again, very much based on the ethos around you own your business as an individual travel consultant and you sell travel on to, to the customers and all you really had was your phone, people coming through the door, um, and your PDQ machine, essentially. And there was no thought around really the digital experience at that point as a company. It wasn't something we were thinking about because at that point, as, a, as an industry, as the airline industry, you could operate that way. Very much a price-based company in a lot of ways then. A bit like the likes of Skyscanner and stuff are today. It was, it was based around low cost it was undercutting the airlines a little bit at that point a bit like those companies do now but based on a high street presence um so anyway to fast forward a little bit uh, i came into the company in 2005 and that was still the way it really was we were a retail based business not really thinking too much about technology it was beginning to come in especially in the corporate world but it wasn't something we were hugely focused on so anyway i said i want to fast forward this a bit so i don't take up all my time talking about um how the business was 15 years ago or so. But look, we went through that period um, and I joined in, as I said, 2005. And I think for around 10 years, that was still the way we operated. But it became quite apparent um, that, that that was a, you know, the, the, the business was going to be challenged by the likes of Expedia and, and other, other entrants into the market like that. It became very apparent that, that the way flights and, and things like that were distributed was going to change a lot and we had to change with it. So anyway, I'll jump into my, a little bit of my story on that because I came through a similar kind of process. I started as a travel consultant in 2005 in Theobalds Road in Holborn, doing exactly what I've described. I sold travel, um, and then I went into various other jobs within Flight Centre. I, I, over a period of time, I, I headed up the operations business for Flight Centre. Then I, I worked in the headed up marketing for a while. Again, focus wasn't so much on the technology, although we had we, yeah, we were building up a website and things like that. Um, but then around five years ago. 
Um, I moved into the corporate business for Corporate Traveller and FCM, who are two corporate brands. Um, and I took on the role as chief technology officer at that point for the EMEA region. Um, and I think, um, yeah, look, I, did, I, I didn't have any particular technology experience, um, really, apart from kind of working more on the business side. So it was a big culture shock to come into something like, like that type of role. Um, but it was very much based on what, what I kind of want to touch on a bit more now is around business tran transformation and how to use technology within that business transformation. Now, the reality was at that point, we were very much being challenged as a business, as often businesses are. You know, you can go through the story of Blockbuster, Kodak, whoever it might be. We were very much being challenged by other people in the market who really were um, looking at using technology to knock, well, in a way, you know, supplant people like people like our company in terms of how, you know, how they sold to corporate businesses. So Corporate Traveller and, and FCM, um, they both they both corporate travel businesses. So we sell you know, corporate travel to local businesses and we also sell um, to larger businesses uh, across the globe. So really, we, we had to change our business model, which is said was still based on really consultants, even in the corporate side, selling on um, selling on flights, hotels, really still not using a great amount of technology. And we had to look at how we were going to change that business to be much more digital focused. What did we have to need to go through to go and really, really you know, fundamentally change our business model and become more of a digital company? And as I said, what I went through before, it really wasn't something that we were particularly thinking about as a business for our, all our years. It was something that we weren't seeing ourselves as. And we had to think about how we change that. How do we use the digital world? How do we use what, what was changing in, 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 the, in the digital world to, to ultimately change our business model? And it wasn't, you know, it was something we had to do to remain relevant to our customers because every customer we went to see really wanted to know what our technology um, was, was going to be all about. So, yeah, look, that's, that's when I came into the role five years ago. And I, I think really, look, what, what, what I want to just touch on as I go through this a little bit, finally, in that flight center story, we've now spent five years really trying to look at what that digital transformation will look like for our corporate businesses. Uh, I'll focus more on the corporate business now, because that's obviously where I work today, but the leisure side of the business is going through the same. So our flight center website and those kind of things. So we're really looking at what, what we needed to do in those five years to change how we sold to our customers and what those customer needs were. Um, and we've gone through a massive change during that five-year period. Obviously, COVID, you know, can't go, can't go without mentioning COVID through these things. Obviously, that's been something that has been a huge impact on that as well, but it hasn't really impacted it to the extent we, we would have had to go through this, this process anyway. So, yeah, look, we, we five years ago, we, um, and I talk here about Corporate Traveller specifically, which is, our, which is our business that sells more to small to medium enterprises. Um, so Corporate Traveller... At that point, we just onsold other companies' technology. That was the way we got through our technology. Mainly, a couple of businesses that are concurrent Citric. They're called they're, they're big businesses, and we just onsold. But what we what we done at that point, we 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 actually looked at how we were going to change that, and how we were fundamentally going to really begin to own that customer experience, um, and how we were looking at um, changing the way we we sold to our customers. So we went out and we purchased um um actually during covid we we purchased a, a um an online booking tool based out of san francisco at that point and really looked to build our own digital 
product for our customers. So yeah, look, what, what I want to touch on a little bit, bit, bit on that. It was, I think the lessons and the things that we went through with that, we, we at that point really had to go through so much change as a business on terms of how we, how we wanted to, um, how we wanted to run, fundamentally run and, and what kind of things we wanted to sell to our customers. And I think some of the learnings we went through on that is when you go through a change like that and you go through a new digital transformation, I think some of the things you have to do is make sure you um, fail fast is often what, what, what the, the phrase is called. It's making sure you understand that you need to really really kind of take risks a little bit with your technology, but make sure you anything you do, you try quickly and you don't spend too much time, too much effort, and too much um, actually trying to build something that you don't really know if your customers need. So it's really important to just understand what, what your actual business model is. It's really vital to actually understand what your um, customers need from you um, and what your actual business model and what you're selling. I think what we, what we found when we first embarked on it is we just wanted some technology and it was kind of technology for technology's sake. Our, we had some um, disruptors in, in our market who were coming up with very new technology, very new platforms, and we just wanted to emulate that. So we were just, we're gonna buy something and we're gonna go out into the business and we're gonna do exactly the same as them and we're just gonna copy them. And I think what you, I think what we learned through that is it's really important to understand what your customers want and what your business model is actually about. So we really had to go back to what we started as right at the start. We really had to understand what, what is it about Corporate Traveller, what is it about FCM, and really what is it about Flight Centre's business that customers want from us. And I think it's really important whenever you go into a digital transformation like that to really understand what is your customer proposition. Because I think that's where we failed a few times with what, what, we, what we actually tried to do. So understand what, why do your customers come to you? What do they want to get out of you? And how can your digital offering help you consolidate that, help you improve what your actual customer offering is. So from our perspective at Corporate Traveller um, and at FCM and at Flight Centre, it was still really about our, our people. It was still, that's why people came to us initially. They really loved dealing with our people and that's why we kept relevant the whole time. But we, we had to have technology to help along with that. We had to have technology, technology help cement what that customer offering actually was. So we, we made many mistakes along the way. I think the, you know, there's a couple that stand out. It, 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 I, think, I think Marco's gonna talk about AI a little bit later on today. We, we five, four or five years ago, we went out and invested in an AI business. We didn't really know what AI was at the time. It was just a brand new thing and we have to have AI. Everyone's got AI. This was before ChatGPT and those kind of things. So we went out and did that and that really didn't, work for us because we didn't really know what we wanted to do with it. We didn't really know why our customers would want it. It just sounded good on a marketing campaign. So those, those are the type of mistakes we made. And it was only a few years, a few years ago when we, I said, we went out and we purchased a, a, an online book. We've rebuilt that now for our customers. Um, and we're really looking to say, okay, what do our customers want from us? What do they need from us? Rather than looking at a case of, um, what technology can we put in place? It's about what is our business proposition? What do our customers actually want, want from us? And then how does our technology help us improve that? And I think for any business going through that process, just when I finish up, I think that's always the main learning that I, I would take from what we've been through at um, Flight Center and again, across all our businesses. 
And I think we've got we've got a lot more to do in this space. We've got a lot more to learn in this space because we're we're now slowly becoming more of a technology company in many ways rather than what 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 we were before, which is a kind of travel company. Because I think in travel, as we're aware, you have to we have to evolve with what's happening in other businesses. But what we what's really key for us now is that we don't lose what our customer proposition is, and we use technology to enhance that rather than just saying, okay, we've got some technology to roll out and it doesn't really, you know, kind of please our customers. But anyway, um, I think I'm, I think my time's up. Um, so look, hopefully that's a small story about what we've done. We, I could talk about it for a lot longer. There's a lot, lot that technology can help with, but I'll, I'll hand on now. So our next panelist, we'd love to introduce is Claire Jeffries. Uh, Claire is the Managing Director of Home Instead, which is a personalised home care service business based in Wimbledon, Kingston. Claire uh, founded this particular branch of Home Instead 13 years ago after struggling to find suitable home care for parents when they most needed it. Uh, since then, her team has delivered over 2 million hours of care to individuals in our local community and forged an award-winning organisation uh, rated outstanding by the Care Quality Commission on three consecutive inspections. Claire's nurtured an innovative uh, homegrown team that puts the needs of its clients at the heart of all of its decisions. Uh, always questioning the status quo, Claire's Home Instead office has tested, trialled and adopted innovative technologies, seeking to be at the forefront of the wave of digital transformation in the sector that many of us wouldn't traditionally associate with tech and would think more about pastoral care and personalised uh, care services. Claire was also a triple award winner last month at the Merton Best Business Awards, for those of you that were there. Uh, winning um, best uh, the Digital Excellence Award, Top Woman in Business Award, and the Best Business in Merton, the most prestigious prize of all. So, and on that, I think we should hear from Claire. I'm sure my head will fit through the door. Um, this felt like being on blind date, sitting on this. So, am I going to pick contestant number A or B? We'll let you know after the break. Um, I wanted to introduce you to um, to some people. This isn't a Google shot of um, two lovely people. These are, these are real clients. This is Dorothy and Eric. And um, they are both 97, and they recently celebrated 70 years of marriage. And we asked them what their secret to a happy marriage was, and Eric said, just say yes to everything. So I think that's probably about right, so men take note. Um, we we won we won the digital excellence award a, a few weeks ago which was to me was pretty brilliant because i've never really seen myself as a as a digital organization we provide care that's what we do to to dorothy and eric and over 200 other people um who live in in, in the borough of of merton and, and kingston so so to go through um and look at what we do from a digital perspective was a real eye-opener for us. Ben, um, my marketing guy here, the two of us, we, we sat down and we said, what do we do? What, what is it that we do that, that makes us a digital company? And we are heavily regulated by the Care Quality Commission. So um, we can't just do what we like. We have to follow, we have to follow rules. But... Um, we, we also have an awful, awful lot of freedom in working out what's best for these lovely people. So not only do we have Dorothy and Eric um, that we have to consider, we also have to consider paid carers who we, who we employ. 
So what is it that they need in order to do the best they possibly can for Dorothy and Eric? We also have to look at the family. So Dorothy and Eric have got sons and daughters and, and members of the family who are all really invested in Dorothy and Eric staying at home independently at the age of 97. So what is it that they want from the care that we're providing for them? And then we have to look to the Care Quality Commission and we have to we have to make sure that what we're doing is absolutely right for them. So all those things need to be taken into consideration. And I think what we've done over the years is we've We've applied digital, digital technology to make life better and make life easier for all those categories. So we started off, as you can imagine, years ago, we, everything was paper. Everything was paper. We had reams and reams, poor trees. We had reams and reams and reams of paper. We wrote care notes. Every single time somebody, one of our, our carers went into a client's home, they wrote a care note. They wrote a log of everything that they did. And then we collected it all up at the end of each month. And we went through it and we audited it. And it was out of date within, you know, the day it was written. We had people used to ring um, the office to say, I'm at Betty's, lovely, we'll sign you in. And Betty got usually got signed in and they'd ring at the end and say, I'm, I'm, I'm out, I'm finished, Betty's fine, right, we'll log you out, thanks very much. Think of all the number of people that we needed to go through the logs, to answer the phones, to deal with all the things. Everything, everything that we did was out of date directly after it had happened. So new, you know, client ha is, on, is on new medication. They've got antibiotics for seven days. So the care plan that we had originally written was on paper, was in a file in the client's home, and that was out of date the, the moment it arrived in the client's home because, because everything changed. So our opportunity to put ourselves onto a digital, a digital platform where we could have absolute real-time information about how Dorothy and Eric are changed our lives. But we just did it because we knew that that was what we had to do. We didn't think of ourselves as a digital company. We thought of ourselves as a company that needed to support D Dorothy and Eric and Eric's family better. So through that technology, the family can log onto a, uh, onto a family portal. So they can now see every single minute what's happening to Dorothy and Eric in the care that they're having at home. We get a phone call from the GP and the GP says that she's, uh, she's on some, some, Dorothy's not been well, so she's on some medic, new medication. We can instantly go in to our system and update it. So when the carer arrives, they don't have to ring to tell us they're there. They just get a little QR code. They just whoop on the QR code and it tells the office that they're there. Oh my God, this is like technology. Like you, It just happened though. It was just one of those things that we said, we need it. This is this is what we need. It, it took some adoption from, you know, we've got we've got carers who are, I think our oldest carer is about 76. And for her to accept that she needed a phone that she could use that, that, that needed an app on it, that took some that took some education. We actually had to buy some phones for some of our some of our carers because they still flipped it over and she um, so, so we had to we had to make some investments to make sure that all our staff understood what it was um, the benefits that they would get from taking on this taking on this uh, this new technology. Um, we've also quite recently looked at people like Dorothy and Eric and said, so for people like Dorothy and Eric, we might provide um, a shopping. We might go out and do some shopping for them. Well, we don't want to be giving. 
are uh, debit cards and PIN numbers to carers. Um, that's a, that's a, an expectation of trust that we don't want to we don't want them to have to have. So so we've adopted something called Clever Card. Has anyone heard of Clever Card? Do you know what? It's really clever. It's really clever because what it does is I'm a carer and I might look after three clients and I might do their shopping. And what I've got is one card, which is for me. And on that card are five different accounts for five different clients. So we load up Clever Card with £100 worth of um, funds for Betty. And I go shopping for Betty. And I put it all on this Clever Card and it automatically puts all, puts all the, puts everything. I mean, I just, I get blown away by these things because it's very, very simple technology, which has transformed, absolutely transformed um, the, the way that we work. The other opportunity that we're looking at is we're looking at our industry and we're saying, where are the stuck moments? How can we help? What can we do that can really make a difference to um, helping somebody have the best experience of being old and a lot of the problems lie in hospitals if you've ever had any experience of a loved one an older loved one in hospital getting them home is often a real challenge and it might be that that actually they need more than they've cut their their current setup so what we're what we're trialing at the moment are virtual wards in clients homes I mean, how brilliant is that? Nobody wants to be in hospital. So if we can get our clients home and we can set up virtual wards for them and also train our staff to, to take on more healthcare um, role uh, within the home, that frees up beds. That means that the hospital, the NHS, is much happier because we've got people coming home rather than blocking beds in, in hospitals. Um, somebody asked me the other day, um, will robots replace replace carers i really hope not <laughs> i really do hope not there things will change so already already out there are apps like like um uber you can dial up you can dial up some care for your loved ones so you know that your mum needs a shopping call thursday at uh, at, at four o'clock and you can go onto an app and you can you can call somebody to come and to come and help or come and help put put, put dad to bed that's not really my bag. That's not what I'm. I'm really interested at all because to me, it's about it's the human touch. It's it. We you know we recruit people from the heart who who who, who deliver care from the heart. And so I probably won't be going down that route. Um, but there will be other home care providers that do. And whether or not robots take over um, caring for people at home, I really don't think it will happen. There might be some opportunities to to put robots in place, but actually. I much prefer to just have us normal people out there look. Would you like somebody looking after your mum, or would you prefer a robot to 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 Alexa tell tell Betty to clean her teeth? Do we really want that? Not really, not really. But anyway, that's that's I think is how we we ended up winning an award because we looked at we looked at a diff, we looked at different areas, different um, award. Um, uh, uh, applications that weren't the norm for us. We could have we could have entered um, commitment to the community. We could have entered go, you know whatever those those ones that you think oh home care that's that sits in there. But actually we entered we entered an award that really challenged us to really look at our business differently. So my advice to you is 
really look at your look at your organize if you're if you don't think you're you're a digital company or tech company you probably are and you're probably doing it without even realizing you're doing it because that's that's exactly what we found so um thank you for having me tonight it's been um it's been fun i hope i hope that's been helpful for you thank you are ready for our third panelist, um, and that is Marcus Moray. Uh, Marcus is Managing Director of Moray Consulting. You have um, enjoyed a career in tech transformation and innovation with 25 years industry experience. Your expertise spans strategy through to implementation and includes data and analytics, CRM, e-commerce, loyalty, marketing, and content. Your clients have included global businesses like Coca-Cola, O2, and 3. And lucky for us, Marcus is a Wimbledon resident, and that's why he is here with us tonight. Welcome, Marcus. Thanks, Charlotte. Hi, everyone. Great to be here. Um, so today I'm going to be talking to you about AI and how you can start to think about it, what it's good at, and how you might be able to integrate it and incorporate it into your organizations. So it's going to be a bit of a whistle-stop tour. I'm going to fit in quite a lot, and uh, but looking forward to your questions and chatting to you later. Um, so I'd like to start out with uh, a request for a show of hands. So when I mentioned the word AI, uh, how many of you feel a bit confused about how you could use it in your organizations? Okay, so there's a good number there. Um, well, tonight I'm gonna try and help demystify AI for you a little bit. And if I could just ask for one more show of hands. Um, when I mention AI, uh, how many of you maybe feel a little bit nervous, a little bit scared? Is, is that something there at all? Okay, maybe a few less, but still, still a few. Um, it's not surprising, uh, it has quite a few uh, connotations, doesn't it? Thank you, Arnold Schwarzenegger, for one. Um, and um, there are things to be concerned about when it comes to AI, and it's been in the news a lot. Um, so I want to do a little exercise before we get started, which is to acknowledge that AI, a lot of the time, really is, is machine intelligence, and it's embedded in the things that we do and things around us. So we could call that embedded machine intelligence, EMI or ME. I'm going to call it ME just to try and maybe warm things up a little bit, soften it up a bit as we go along. Um, let's see how that goes. So to jump in, first of all, I'd like to talk to you about a couple of the strengths that I see of AI for your organizations. Um, first element would be that AI is particularly good at finding hidden patterns. So what that means is, if you think about um, data that is out there, it might be some data that you hold as an organization, or it could be uh, data that you could buy in or perhaps um, build yourselves. That data can be really full of valuable information. So. Um, obvious examples would be um, information around how you could improve sales or how you could um, maintain or 
um, improve your profits. Or it could be something else that's not financially related. So, for example, if you're working on sustainability efforts, how you could um, better be sustainable as an organization. So pattern recognition is a big thing uh, that AI can help you with in your organization. Um, using a quick example from my own experience, I worked with three who are the mobile company based in the UK. And to cut a long story short, what we did was by looking at through all this, by looking through all their sales data, we managed to find some really interesting insights about how various groups of customers were uh, buying products. Um, and we were able to serve that up to their customer call center. And that in turn allowed the call centers to then cross sell and upsell products and services to customers more effectively, which actually resulted in a quite a good uptick in sales. Um, so I'm going to move on to another element now about um, about AI and its strengths. And the other one would be about, it's particularly good when it comes to um, identifying um, areas where there are very, very manual processes and those processes are very repeatable. Um, and it's, it's things that, it could be things that your customers are doing over and over again to interact with you. Um, it could be things that your staff are doing. It could be things that any of your stakeholders are doing. And maybe it's patients or it's donors or partners or suppliers. But ultimately, um, yeah, I mean, to, to Claire's point, I think you, you touched on this also, looking at where there's um, kind of points where there's, you're getting stuck, so friction points. So it's really good at um, handling those. Um, and... Um, um, and, and ultimately, if you want to, automating them. Um, there is a watch out, absolutely, uh, which is um, AI isn't there to automate the hell out of everything. <laughs> um, there are lots and lots of um, instances where it's better to rely on the innate skills of people, such as creativity, um, complex problem solving, um, empathy, um, and getting things done in the real world. So just trying to give you there a high-level view of some of the strengths as I see them of AI, perhaps starting to build out a few ideas for you and your organizations about where that might fit in. Um, and I'm going to move on now to how to go about perhaps incorporating AI into the way that you do business. So this is based on my experience working with a number of organizations and it's things that I've found have worked. Um, so one topic would fall under the kind of banner of um, be, be the customer. What I mean by that is, and I think David touched on this also a bit, but be, be the customer. So topics here could be, for example, um, start with what the business problem is or the business opportunity is that you've got. What are you, what are you challenges you're facing into? What's keeping you up at night? Where are those exciting opportunities? And look into that. And then off the back of that, think about the technology that you want to go with, which might be AI. It might not be. It might be an Excel spreadsheet. <laughs> um, it could be something completely different. But Lee, always lead with that. Um, and when, by the way, when I'm talking about customer and be the customer, it could be, um, it could be your staff. It could be those partners that you're relying on. 
Um, it could be, again, your patience, but put yourself in the, their shoes. A couple other points quickly, because I don't have a lot of time. Um, but um, it's really important to be very, um, to prioritize brutally, basically, when it comes to actually releasing a, a product or a service onto the market. And I think, David, you mentioned this as well, something around, you know, moving quickly. Um, but some of you may have heard of the concept of a minimum viable product. So what that means is choose your features that you want to go out to market with, to go out to your customers or whoever the users are of that product. And, um, and really think about the features that are going to um, be useful for them and go out with those only. Everything else, leave it. Put it onto a backlog and then turn that backlog into a nicely visual roadmap that you can tell everybody, well, here's where we want to go down the line. Here's the exciting stuff that we want to do, but it's maybe stuff that's going to be more expensive, there's more effort um, that you're less sure about, you need to bring more definition to. Um, and then the final point I want to make about be the customer is um, ethics and safety which is a gigantic topic within AI. I can't do it any justice right now, but it has to be front and foremost in your actions, um, whether you're developing something in-house or whether you're um, adopting something that somebody else has built. Um, I'm going to carry on. We're still on the topic here of how you go about incorporating and adopting AI within your organization. Um, the next quick kind of topic that I'd like to cover is around um, testing and learning. So it can be intimidating to in engage on any kind of change initiative, any kind of technology implementation. So start small. Um, choose things that are relatively easy to do. Quick wins. Do those and show, that, show the art of the possible to your stakeholders build up some enthusiasm around those items, and then you, you're going to have more of a chance to do the bigger stuff, the more exciting stuff. Um, so yeah, quick wins is important. Um, and another one would be experiment. So there's an area that's very related to AI that many of you will have heard of, which is data science. Data science is really predicated on um, experimentation and it's about discovery coming up with a hypothesis and quickly working through those hypotheses with algorithms um, and figuring out if you're managing to hit a streak of gold trying to find those insights those patterns that we talked about at the beginning can you find them no move on move on move on so um, the third area that i'd like to talk about very briefly is build solid foundations. So for example, under this might fall things like the data that you're going to bring in has to be good quality. Otherwise, rubbish in, rubbish out. So don't shirk on the data collection and cleaning, but don't overdo it either, because I know some clients that have spent years and years and years on their data. So try and iterate on something that's good. One of a uh, favorite of mine actually is if you've got to go to other people and have them um, approve the budget that you want to spend to um, 
implement um, AI, and for the first time, I'm going to call it ME. <laughs> um, but if, if you need to get the budgetary support for that, try and get that budget built in later and do your business case on non-financial um, non-financial benefits at first, such as saved time of your uh, staffs and also um, improved customer satisfaction. Otherwise, you might be in danger of getting your initiative closed down very early before it's really had a chance to prove itself. Thanks to all of our speakers. And now it's your turn. So um, we'd love to have your question. So if you have got a question, please try and keep it concise. Uh, and tell us if you want uh, to ask a specific panelist or if you want it to the whole panel. So does anyone have any questions they would like to raise? Hi, uh, a question for Claire. Fantastic. Um, you are clearly making a huge impact in what you're doing. And I'd like to ask you how digital intervention has helped you be more efficient and cost effective in your business. And I kind of put that in the context that the UK government budget, the biggest budget is social security and social care and education, but particularly social care. And how you can use your experience to influence government across all the local authorities, all the um, social care environments to help them do what you're doing and how that can help better the kind of generation that you're looking after. Thank you. That was a um, two questions there. Um, <laughs> the, uh, in answer to how the difference that it's made, um, I need less staff in my office to start with, because ev when everything was paper based, we needed a lot more people to go through a lot more data. Whereas now, it's all done for us. So we don't we don't have the the teams that we need in the office anymore. Um, in terms of um, in terms of the the helping government, we we provide private care to our clients, and we provide a minimum of one hour visits. Local authorities um, will often provide fifteen minutes and half hour visits, and. I did challenge um, a, a GP a few years ago. Amazingly, he didn't see the didn't see the question coming. Um, he commissioned fifteen minute care, and I did ask him how long it took him to get up in the morning. Doctor Phil, how long does it take you to get up in the morning? And he said, "Oh, um, I, I spend a lot of time getting up, getting ready." And I said, "Try doing it fifteen in fifteen minutes tomorrow." Um, because that's what you're commissioning. So, so the technology that we use now enables our carers to spend more time with their clients. So they're not writing, they're not spending time writing notes, they're not spending time on the telephone, they're actually delivering care, proper care for much longer with our clients. So I think that's making a huge difference. And I think if that, you know, the government will still continue commissioning 15 minute and half hour calls probably forever. If they start investing in some technology along the way, that 15 minutes will be 15 minutes rather than six by the time they've had to do all the logins and the logouts and everything else that they're not doing digitally. Hi there. Um, what advice would you give anybody who's embarking on a digital transformation and help them to not um, replicate a really bad paper process with technology? 
and that can be to any of you because you've all done it. But you know, just because we move paper around doesn't mean we need to use technology to do it. So what's your advice about not doing that? So to, to cover, do you mean the advice of starting, starting up technology in a kind of small way, do you mean? Or? Oh, in, in any way. You, you use something on a paper-based thing, and I fill up this paper, and I take it to that person, to that person. I don't, well, most people go, well, how do I use technology to replicate that movement of that paper? Actually, it's the start and the end point, so it's trying to give people advice to how they can think about not replicating an existing paper-based process. Okay. So not not rep, kind of not replicating what you do today, or you might do that that becomes a well. It's the outcome process. you want delivered by technology, yeah. but not the the steps, which I think people fall into the steps yeah. of paper based in delivering a technology solution. So it's yeah. sort of you know I, I try and advise people around how not to do it. So it'd be great to know how you guys sort of change when you did your processes. What advice you can give that you didn't fall into that trap? Yeah, look, I think I think it's I think is what you've touched on there. It was very much outcome based and i think that is the way you've got to think about how you approach a technology change however small or however large it is so i think what we and again i kind of touched on the amount of mistakes we made to get to this point so i think any if you're looking at it as a even as a small process in the business that we currently do or we we might have to do but we want technology to be able to help with that you've kind of need to think about okay what's the what's the end outcome that you want from that particular change and kind of flip it around from thinking about the process you want to get to from there in terms of then what is the outcome you're going to get at the end of it. I, I won't use our company. I, there's the, what springs to mind is I went to a, this is a bit, bit of a jump. I went to a football match on Saturday of my local, my local team called Wildstone up in, in Ryslip. So I'm not from the Wimbledon area. And they, it was a very, it was such they, they obviously, everyone wants to now sell tickets on, online and things like that when you go to football match. And it was such an easy process to buy off them. They're very small, a very small business. It was such an easy process to actually log onto their website, buy a ticket for me and my son, and actually go through that process. All I wanted to do, and that's all they really provided. They didn't try anything that was beyond the realms of what they wanted me to do at the end of it with purchase tickets. And they're now getting 2,000 people there rather than kind of a, they were about 500. I'm not saying the digital technology did that for them. They're doing really well in the league they're in. But it was it was thinking about the outcome that I, I noticed. I was thinking about talking here today and thinking they've really thought about what they want to achieve. Whereas I've been, I'm a, my son's a Tottenham fan, and I've been on their website. And it's very It's actually very difficult to buy a ticket off them because I think they've overthought the process. So I think it's, we very much now think about outcome-based and we've had to think that way rather than process-based, I think. Um, I think I hope, hopefully that hopefully that helps. So I think yeah, and it was more just yeah, it's a, just um, something I've I've come across, and so it's sort of your idea. Yeah, so that's yeah. All. I would just I would just add to that. Um, I'd look at the what the benefits were versus the cost, the cost that I'm currently paying to do it the way I currently do it versus what the technology would give me in terms of cost savings and the benefit to the end user. Yeah, and just one thing I would add is um, so much of digital transformation is um, about removing friction from processes, which allows you to rethink. So ultimately, kind of, if you're looking at David's outcome, you focus on that and then rethink everything. Now, that could involve a bit of a mindset shift, but that's what we talk about in transformation. We talk about change to mindset and culture alongside people, process, tech, and data. So look at it holistically, rethink it all, 
Um, and uh, yeah, don't <clears throat> don't design another horse to the old, you know, um, Henry Ford quote. Um, you know, rethink it fundamentally whilst meeting the organisation's need, the organisation's needs, and in fact push back on what the organisations say they need if it's just going to be a technology equivalent of pushing paper around. Um, <clears throat> Seamus Murphy from Kudo. Um, first of all, congratulations, Claire, because we sponsor the uh, the technology um, award you won. So well done. Apologise for, for how drunk I was at the end. If you saw. <laughs> not, not not as bad as most of us. So there you go. Um, just really to to look at this from a technology point of view. The first thing is when we we talk to our customers about technology, that that's the last thing we talk to them about because they don't know the technology and we don't expect them to know. They don't know what it can do for them. We need, we need to understand what it is they do, how they do it, what they're trying to achieve, and then we can go back with the technology that'll help them. So you've absolutely got to, as you've all said, you've absolutely got to start with what you need to do, how do you want to do it. Forget technology, that's, that's just the avenue to get you there. You're not the expert in that, and, and you know, with the best will in the world, that's what we try to talk to you about. The second thing is, so we've got, to, we've got to understand you before we can talk to you about technology. That's the first point I'd say. Um, and, and, you know, if your technology people aren't doing that, that's where it's going wrong. Because it is a real problem when they start throwing technology at you. Second thing is, don't be afraid. I think you, you touched on it, David. Don't be afraid to make those moves and mistakes. Because technology nowadays is so easy to change um, and, and move things you, you can go down one route find it doesn't work for you try something different and and uh, i definitely encourage that as well so just adding that my two anyway hello hi um patricia brooks here from geneva pearl um may, maybe for david and claire you talked about um your digital transformations and i just wanted you to help me understand, talk a little bit about how you supported your people through the change. Claire, you started talking about it and, and help and training people, but how did you support them through the actual change? I think giving them an understanding of why we're doing it in the first place was really important. Um, if you think also, our, our clients were used to um, carers coming in and writing things on pieces of paper, and now they're doing something on their phone so it was getting the clients to understand what it was that they were doing. But um, at the end of the day, it was it was copious amounts of training. It, you know, and I think train, train, train and train and 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 have one to one training and more training because you, you think people have got it and they absolutely haven't. And as I said, you know, my workforce, uh, you know, are, are some of them are quite dino like dinosaurs in the, tech, in the tech world and they didn't want to change. I mean, even down to things like our clients didn't want to pay by direct debit. Because they lose, they lost control. They liked writing checks. That was part of their their weekly activity. They sit at the table and get the checkbook out and go to the post box and you know stick the stick the, the stamp on and go into the post box. So so everything is about giving the giving the, the 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 end user an understanding of why we're doing it and then training them really hard to get it. Thank you. Um, yeah, look, really, really to echo what. Claire said, um, for, for us, in the, I can see um, Donna and Gary, who both work for Corporate Traveller back then. Don, Donna runs the Corporate Traveller band. Um, the big, the, like, as, a, as I said, when I talked to her, I think we were very much this kind of people-based 
organization and how people were the key to what we did. And like I said, I started as a travel consultant. You had massive amounts of pride about looking after your customers. It was something that we did really, really well. And we still do really, really well. But it was such a key part of what we did. And I think to bring your people on that journey is absolutely vital. And I think what we really focused on and highlighted is the, is the benefits. And that goes on a little bit. What, what, what does, you can't at any point make it feel like technology is supplanting what they do. It's about what can you give benefit to your customer for? What, what, what benefits do you give? Because what, what we were doing, what our consultants were doing a lot was very manual tasks and very kind of, you know, customers phone up, what terminal am I going from? Or what's my baggage allowance? And we didn't need a person doing that. And I don't think our people really enjoyed doing that. What they enjoyed was helping our customers through the volcano or helping us customers through those kind of things or booking very complex trips for customers. So it's to really amplify, okay, this is, this is what you really give customers and this is how you can be of real value. And technology is there to help you provide that. And I think that was the key. Um, and you, yeah, and it, it, what Claire said is, well, you really got to train and take them on the journey you're going through. I think it was vital for us. A very quick one. I'm very interested in your digital transformation and how you've measured the carbon footprint of it when you go digital. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a, that's a that's a very good question. Might might stump me a little bit on that. One. Well, look, I think I think obviously in. Um, travel carbon, carbon footprint is a very important part of what what we're talking about and what we do with our customers. You know, I think away from that initial question, we've seen kind of train travel accounts for about 60% of our transactions and things like that now, especially around, around Europe. We, look, I probably can't give an exact answer of how we do it, but we have, we have employed recently a variety of sustainability roles in our company around both the, from a customer perspective um, and then also an internal perspective, kind of a, a, net, a net zero type um, uh, aim that we've we've got. I think it's by 20, 2030, something like that. Um, but look, I think what what as a business we are trying to do is understand what our company's carbon footprint is. But I think it's very important what our technology can do to understand our customers' carbon footprint. And I think when we're selling travel, in particular our technology has to meet what that need is because customers still want to travel. Um, and we found that post COVID that our customers are still keen on traveling, but we very much have to inform them around what, um, what that carbon footprint looks like. So an example, an example of that is um, a lot of customers now want their flights listed by carbon footprint at the, at the top, like lowest carbon footprint rather than cheapest flight. So we've got to figure out how our technology can help. I guess I was look, looking more at the, the footprint of the technology, which is often overlooked in business. So every email we send, every computer we use, we think that there isn't actually much of a footprint when there is quite a significant footprint. Yeah, look, I think it's a good point and something we'll probably have to try and try and bring up. So it's not something we're tracking hugely at the moment through the digital transformation. So I think it's a it's a good point to add. And I think as I said, we're as a company looking at that overall carbon footprint. And look, it's, it's, it's interesting to kind of compare what digital transformation costs against kind of having a high street footprint, I suppose, and that kind of thing, because both come with it. As I said, and look, I think a lot of automation, and I know Mark spoke about AI, and a lot of that can bring a, a little bit less carbon footprint, I believe, in terms of what that can do compared to, yeah, as you said, email and, and those kind of things. We're also looking at having 
less systems. Um, I think historically our business has had a lot of different systems, which again, I'm working add to that kind of thing. So we've had to run a lot of different systems at the same time and we're looking to kind of minimize that. But it's a very good question and one I'm going to take away <laughs> and come back with a better answer, hopefully, of exactly what we're doing. Thank you. Amber from uh, Mindable here. So my question is mainly to Marcus. What do you think that small businesses can do to educate themselves about AI in an affordable way? Because it's such a difficult topic that usually you have to be like university, university educated to understand. What do you think they can do to understand it easily and affordably? Um, yeah, great question. So a few things come to mind. Um, one, the most obvious one would be um, there is some really good um, free education courses out there. So, for example, on Coursera, there's a brand new course which is free on generative AI, which is already getting really good ratings. So if you could tap into a kind of a training function within your organization or set one up and then de determine a like a menu of courses to go on and pick from platforms like Coursera where they're very cheap, that could be a really cost effective way for a small business if you are you know, challenged on the budgetary front to start uh, educating yourselves on, on that front. Another would be, for me, that's almost like too, too easy. Um, there's another way of looking at it, which is culturally, how do you instill more of a culture of people experimenting? So actually learning by doing. <clears throat> so there, that opens up topics like well, maybe you can send people to go off and learn to program, do a little bit of Python programming, for example, um, because that can really demystify a bit, make it a lot more practical, and some of your people may really uh, take to it, actually, and become evangelists for it. Um, and finally, I would say there is a lot, of, there are a lot of products and services out there now that do have um, some form of AI built into them. Um, so if you can use those and start prototyping products with them, which is actually relatively straightforward to do um, once you broach the subject, then again, that gets people closer to the topic, maybe uh, breaks down the, you know, the, um, the, you know, just makes it more accessible. Yes. Okay. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of the Business Masterclass podcast. Our thanks to all the speakers, the team at Flight Centre for hosting us, and to the audience who attended and asked such inspiring questions. For more information on future events, please visit our websites, lovewimbledon.org and mertonchamber.co.uk. Feel free to give us a review, as it helps more people to find us. Thanks to the teams at Love Wimbledon and Merton Chamber of Commerce for organising the Masterclass series and Merton Council for helping us to fund the events. Thanks also to Johnny Bunyan and Craig Ford at Pardon Our French Productions who record and mix this podcast series. Finally, thank you to you for listening and supporting this series. Goodbye. Goodbye.